Let's right, try again. Right, I'll try the music again. Hang on. Hello, everybody, and uh, welcome back to the uh, Scottish Rugby Podcast. Um, not like um, the uh, imposters that are the BBC Scottish Rugby Podcast who are going around claiming they are the Scottish Rugby Podcast. We are the only rugby podcast that cares about why Mr. Tumble lives with Grandad Tumble and Aunt Polly and what happened to Mummy and Daddy Tumble. Who killed them and why? And where does Lord Tumble fit into all of that? Um, uh, one, on a point of order, Duncan uh, commented on the blog on, on uh, the Gary Glaim article and he was a bit concerned that, that we might be poking fun at um, the rival podcast with our, our little opening there. Um, and just to assure everyone that I do genuinely care about the things that I say uh, that we care about at the start. Um, you can hear all about that, in fact, in my new Mr. Tumble themed Making a Murderer podcast that will be out later this week. Um, anyway. The numbers on the, uh, the hummus. Aye, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I think he thought I was. I, I think he was uh, insinuating. I thought hummus was only for posh people, but no. I uh, I loves me some hummus. Um. Anyway, uh, joining me tonight. Um. I had a lovely little intro written. Um. And Ian stepped in last minute because I was going to say that just like the scientists in the Manhattan Project, we spliced the Gene Gene here atom and unleashed the fallout that is John Anderson. But unfortunately, the atoms put itself back together, and we've got Ian and John with us. Cannot be stopped. We cannot be stopped. <laughs> no, you're defying science. Um, <laughs> like Station from Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. <laughs> <laughs> um, if I'm sounding a little bit husky, it's because I, I came away from Murrayfield with a bit of a cold. So um, there's only one uh, one thing we can put for the background music this week, and that's a bit of Barry. Here we go. Bit of background music for how to get in touch with us. Um, so. Uh, you can uh, get in touch with us at scottishrugbyblog.co.uk, on Twitter at scottrugbyblog or at Cammy Black. Uh, we're also on Facebook and Instagram, and you can email us podcast at scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. Um, I'll probably get more and more husky as we go on, so apologies for that. I have no Owen Farrell and um, George Ford um, fan fiction lined up, unfortunately. Uh, ran out of time for that. Um, We'll crack on. There's quite a bit to to get on with this week because um, there's been lots of news today about Scott in the world of Scottish rugby, and lots of news indeed over the weekend. We'll start with the Fiji game. Uh, we were there covering the game, uh, and uh, we uh, heard from Greg Laidlaw about what he had to say about the match. Our forwards uh, done a tremendous job in, in tying them out, and we, and we talked about that and, and holding on the ball and going to a driving game when, when we needed. So that was really pleasing, uh, and really pleasing. We scored just before half time, and we were maybe getting a bit frustrated, but nobody panicked. Uh, we scored a nice try out to the right, and, and it put us ahead going into half time. And, and the way we played in the second half, I thought we were really clinical. Well, the, the strategy we went in with, and, and Gregor and the coaches, um, you know, made sure we understood all week as we wanted to tighten them up and, and squeeze them in the first half, and it and certainly it just turned out like that. We, Against teams like that, you've got to hold structure and you don't want to be loose. And, and again, even when we played off, off, off of nine, we just carried hard and then that allowed us to open them up by using little tip plays and going out the back in the second half. So I thought it was a really good performance uh, from, from the whole team. What's really pleasing is, is we really stepped up the second half and pulled away. And, and right from the, the start of the half, we, we had a good kick chase. We got the ball back straight away and then we scored a try just a couple of minutes later. So that really set the tone for the second half. Uh, John, we'll start with you then. Uh, that was um, 
Greg Laidlaw there saying that essentially Scotland had a game plan to sort of tire the, the Fijians out in the first half and then open up a bit in the second. Is that, I mean, did you have the confidence that that was what they were doing when you were watching the match? <laughs> well, uh, to, to Greg's point, mission accomplished. Um, however, yeah, after after about 25 minutes, uh, I, I was I was down in the, uh, the South Stand with uh, some work colleagues and we sort of turned around to each other um, I think the score was was uh, Fiji were in the lead at the time, and there was there was genuine concern. We we were a bit worried, um, but for me it was it was really interesting actually that once the referee um, clocked on to I, I never thought I would say Fiji uh, sort of spoiling tactics uh, from their forwards, but once he clocked that Scotland really did seem to just accelerate uh, at that point. So. Um, yeah, I was a bit nervous, but we we got there. Uh, Ian, you were watching from the comfort of uh, outside of Murrayfield, the comfort of your own home. Um, was it any less stressful to watch uh, on the telly? Uh, yeah, well, seeing as most of the uh, the admon admod team for the Scottish Rugby Forum were getting sloshed at Murrayfield, so we just had to stay behind and keep an eye on things. Um, yeah, well, I mean, everyone knows Fiji are a dangerous sort of strike running team. Um, you know, even though they don't get as much time to prepare as we do, maybe uh, they still, there's some very dangerous players in there, like Randrada, for example, um, Guneva, who was a uh, Premiership Player of the Year last year in England. Um, and yes, things were a bit scary, <laughs> but I had, I had faith. And then eventually, uh, second half, I thought was um, an, an excellent performance, excellent all-round performance in the second half, particularly. Yeah, um, we've uh, pulled a couple of comments from the blog um, as we did last week, just to sort of uh, some talking points, really, things we, we agree with, things we don't agree with. Um, I've gone with Reading Jock, who said, uh, rugby is all about opinions, and Peter Horn may well get the nickname Marmite. Personal opinion is that he does some brilliant things and some stupid things, but they're all done with 100% effort. Commitment, and he is someone who will try till the coups come home. There may be better players in the position, but any criticism, in my humble opinion, should be tempered with the above in mind. Um, and Gregor Townsend talked a little bit about the impact Peter Horn had on the game after the match. I thought he was excellent. He, he broke a lot of tackles. He straightened up the line when it when it was on to straight up the line. Pete is one of our hardest workers, if not the hardest worker on the team. And a lot of things, whether it was getting back to, to go down on the ball um, when they've kicked through, getting back to make a couple of crucial tackles or just being involved in attack having worked uh, really hard to get the far side of the field he he drives that and uh, I thought it was one of his best games for Scotland today um, Yeah I tend to agree with Gregor Townsend there I think um, Peter Horn probably was uh, when you when I watched the game back today um, having been there I hadn't quite appreciated how busy Peter Horn was and how sort of pivotally was to sort of both the Scottish attack and, and the defence, Ian. I don't know, because you were watching on the... T- it was hard to tell, I think, in Murrayfield just how much work he was getting through. Oh, no, he was he was everywhere. Um, even when Fiji had a couple of breaks in the first half, you know, where one of their first attacks when they chipped ahead, he was the man tracking back. Uh, he put another good sort of scrambled defence tackle in. Uh, and then, you know, in the second half, we were on the front foot. He was just always available. Um a lot of people give him stick, uh, but I thought he had a very, very good game. Um, he just seems to be, he, apart from butchering the uh, obvious <laughs> try for Seymour, right? We'll, we'll, we'll 
you know, we'll take that one out of there. Um, he just his appreciation of what was in front of him. Uh, you know, he put in a couple of nice kicks as well. Uh, just when Fiji were getting a bit of territory in that second half, just to really turn the screw on them. Uh, and yeah, he was he was absolutely everywhere. I thought he had a, a very very good game. Would you agree with that, Jeremy? I mean, Gregor Townsend said he's Scotland's hardest working player, and I think Dave Rennie's in the past said he's one of the most intelligent rugby players that he's he's worked with. Is it just with Pete Horn then down to execution? Do you think? I think with Pete Horn, you the concern is you you'll get you'll get consistency um, across the piece, but within that consistency, there's always one moment that makes you throw your hands up in the air and go, "Oh, come on, Pete!" and for me, uh, like where he where he threw that the dummy and went himself and butchered the Seymour try, he was lucky it was only the full back that was hitting him because any other of those Fiji backs, with the side of the ten, who's uh, a stiff breeze would have taken him out. <laughs> the the full back was the tiniest one in the, of the lot. The rest of them were absolute bears. They would have they would have swallowed him whole. Uh, so I mean. I, I kind of wish it was like Radrada or someone because he would never make that mistake ever again, or, <laughs> or possibly any other mistake ever again, because it, it would have been it would have been a car crash. Um, but no, he is he's a very very talented player. I've given him some stick this year. I think his form hasn't been great actually, um, but he is a very very talented player, and he he tackles above his weight, as Ian rightly says. He he, he works hard. He gets about the park. He has all the skills. He just has that one brain fart moment every game that that, that concerns me. But yeah, I, I think he's he's again, and we always write him off, but he's playing himself back into that that twelve shirt um, for Scotland, the starting shirt. Yeah. Um, in terms of the twelve shirt, should we do this now? Do we do the ten yeah. twelve shirt chat now? Right. <laughs> oh yes. Now, for those of the I was covering the game, I was there and. Um, it's it's not despite all the viral videos that go around during World Cups where you see um, commentators from you know countries sort of absolutely up on their their, their feet celebrating. I think um, like they did it do the football. It is not the done thing to celebrate in the press box. So you can only imagine that the the, the sheer self restraint that I uh, I had to put when <laughs> Pete Horn is substituted for for, uh, for for Adam Hastings and 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 it happened. It happened. We we got. As predicted, as the only the only media outlet to predict this, <laughs> we got the Horn Hastings Russell nine ten twelve access. It was full on. <laughs> Cats at a rave. Horn dashing out the Yankees. Yeah. Hastings and Finn cutting some shapes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's interesting. Well, this is what Townsend had to say after the match about it. The, the combination, yeah, very good. Uh, it reminded me of um, the 1872 Cup of Murrayfield. I think uh, I can't remember if it was Finn putting uh, Adam into the hole in that game. This time it was Adam putting Finn into the hole. Really pleased that he supported his pass. Uh, so that shows his work ethic and for him to score a BT Murrayfield um, will give him a huge boost. But um, obviously they've not played together at 10 and 12 uh, in any game from the start or an international, so yeah, it might not be the number one combination we're thinking about. So um, yeah, it doesn't sound like we're going to see it again anytime soon. Um, I think 
Oh. Although today Hastings has come out and said that he he thinks it's worth another run. Um, <laughs> of course he did. Merlo against South Africa. But... Yeah. Mer- I mean Merlo on the blog said it's uh, what is Merlo's comment? He said um, Hastings and Russell is only an option in attack and only an extremist. <laughs> Um, yeah, would, it's, if you're miles ahead or if you're really chasing the game, that's the only time that you uh, you let those cats in. But that, yeah, I mean that last try though, woof. Oh, I should say meow time. rather, uh, rather than woof. <laughs> I think that was my favourite ten minutes of Scottish rugby ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but um, we're still not. I mean, I yeah, I, I guess it's not. You can't go with that level of chaos in a. In a game, but I think, like you've said previously, John, when the opposition is tiring, I don't. I I, I can see it being an option. I mean, it, I, it, they they had to they had to defend for a period within that, having all yep. three on the pitch. It, it, they didn't go backwards. The, the like I said in the match report, the the seas of the Scottish defence did not part suddenly, but sticking them on at the end of a match that's calling for that sort of inventiveness, I, it's good to know that that works. Russell's a very, very good 12. And actually, I think quite a few people made the point that it's it's kind of more total rugby than anything else. And that with those two on the park, you're not really sure who's at 10, who's at 12. I've seen Russell defending in the 13 channel at one point um, during the the, the Cats that arrive um, period, as it shall henceforth be known. Um, <laughs> and, you know, actually, yeah, both those boys can defend. Um, would you want them to be doing it for 80 minutes? No, of course you wouldn't, because y- you know you want you want your best players playing in their best positions. And that said, the so the try the the Adam Hastings try the delay pass. I've I've commented previously the delay pass for for Russell to go through the, uh, through the defence. Beautiful. Russell's line was, I mean, in terms of a 12 running running an angle, it's. It's, it's as good as it gets. It's a cracking line, and then to have for Adam to have the composure to be absolutely hollering at Finn where he wants it. I mean, and then you've got Finn just casually lobbing a, a twenty-five yarder off his wrong hand to to send him through. It's it's just high high skill in a high pressure environment, and they make it look like it's like they're just knocking about for a laugh. It's brilliant to see. Yeah. I'm just like I said. It's. I think I tweeted at the time. It's happening. It's happening. And that was the only. Like, it's on, like, the only outlet that I had for that. Um, um, Ian, did you get a chance to pull anything from the blog? Because I know you, you're a last minute replacement. Did you have a chance to go through the comments? Uh, yes, yes, I did. I got one that I agreed with. It's quite a long one. Um, it's by uh, Work Scott. So he'd. I'll just pick out some of the highlights. Uh, so he thought Richie maybe got hard done by with them in the ma- uh, man of the match. I think it's a pretty tight call. There's maybe a few with their hands up. Um, I thought Fraser Brown had a great 50 minutes, as did Work Scott. Um, Seymour looked sharp. But this is why I've picked this one out. He has referred to George Horn as Hornito because I've been peddling that nickname for ages. <laughs> and finally, <laughs> it looks like it's taken root. Hornito. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's been a weekend for nicknames taking root. Actually, it's it's been one of those yeah, ones. Finsanity. You said Finsanity's yeah, been heard on, on Blood and Mud. I've got a wee mention on Blood and Mud. We we gave it a wee shout out earlier on, and uh, obviously our our combined uh, 
two-headed beast has been reared in uh, in Murrayfield's up and under as well. So uh, the nicknames are, are sticking. I was going to save that for Wes Doogie Donnelly and, and give you the glory of, of being the subject of your own Doogie Donnelly and being re- yes. recognised, John. You know, I think we could still do it in Doogie Donnelly. It's that good. But... <laughs> we'll save the rest for that. Um <laughs> Yeah, I agree with that. I think yeah, I think um, I think Brown had a, had a really good game. Like I said, I think it's getting to the point where Brown and and McInally are fairly interchangeable. I don't think you'd lose anything with one coming on for the other, um, and that's no bad thing. I think it just shows that they're they're pushing each other. I think I said in the play rates pushing each other on like Rocky and Apollo Creed in, in Rocky Three. They're just that sort of total, just like well, okay, if you're going to do that, then I'm going to come on and do better. Yeah, to give to give you your glory here, Cammy. Actually, one of the comments I've picked out um, <laughs> isn't even a comment. It's it's from your player ratings, and I just wanted to give you give you a bit of praise for your description uh, for Josh Strauss for his five out of five. Absolutely brilliant, man. Um, we've got uh, came on for the injured Matt Fagerson. Didn't so much grab his chance by the scruff of the neck as stick the nut on it and drag its lifeless corpse to the feet of the others challenging for a place of the Scottish back row and say, "On you go, then." <laughs> <laughs> well, well done, young man. Well done. Thank you. It did. Well, it felt like that kind of performance, didn't it? Because it's you know he comes on. I think is it twenty eight minutes into the game. Yeah, yeah, half an He's, hour. In, yeah. You know, a year out of the Scotland setup. Uh, everyone writing him off. I mean, we you know we were saying. Uh, last week, even before he got that caught, you know, before we knew he'd been called up, that's him done. You know, we're not going to see him back in a Scotland shirt. There's obviously something in his mentality that doesn't quite fit what Townsend is going to do. And lo and behold, back in he comes in and and put that. You know, that's. I think you've probably seen performances like that from him, like that in a Warriors shirt, but not in a Scotland. There was that one France game, but apart from that, I've not yeah, seen anything like that. When he has a was it a. I don't think it was a ruptured kidney, but like a lacerated kidney. Yeah, Yeah. that was a lot of bravery in there. Um, But yeah, I've heard you guys sometimes criticise his his running style because he's very upright, but he's got such powerful legs. Mm. You know, if you try if you try and hit him high, he will go through you, and that's what he did. Um, You know, a lot of people been screaming out for a ball carrying eight. It's maybe not Scotland style, but the impact he had. You know, it's definitely going to make Gregor think a couple of times. Yeah, he and it, stronger as well from playing in the Premiership. Mm. He looks, he looks. I mean, he looked leaner, he looked fitter, mm-hmm. but he looked very powerful. I was very, very impressed with him actually. He just, I think, he just had an extra edge to him. It was almost an extra, just a couple of notches more determination to break the tackle and to carry and to keep yep. going. And I don't know if it's just that he's taken a wee while to climatize to the pace of international rugby because. You know, some will, you know, you, you, your Sam Skinners will take to it like a duck to water and immediately just raise the level of their game. And then you've maybe got the likes of, and we'll come on to talk about him soon, no doubt, but Chris Harris, who maybe needs a few more games and a bit more patience to sort of say, you know, introduce him to international rugby and they'll get there. And maybe Josh Strauss is just one of those that's needed that time and to get his sort of his head right about the pace of international rugby and, and to, to get his game up to that level. But yeah, that, I you know, if he can maintain that sort of form and that sort of um, carrying ability, then there's all sorts of, you know, questions over who starts and who doesn't start in the Scottish back row now. It's absolutely terrifying. I think it was very interesting, actually. His interview during the week after getting called back in, you could you could tell he was as surprised as anyone mm. to get the call up. And I think, I think that may have come through in his performance in that, there, there, there's no, 
I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that, as you know, we've said, we we didn't expect him to get a call up, uh, and all the indications were he wouldn't be back in Scotland set up. So the only way he keeps himself in there now is performances like that, and you know, everyone's crying. I think I think Matt Fagerson, people were saying, you know, he had he hadn't started that well. I, I watching the game back, he he was very very good for mm. thirty minutes. And it's a testament to how good Josh Strauss was that we're kind of going, ah, Fagerson was eh, but but meh. And Strauss was amazing. He he was very, very good at the weekend. Very good. Yeah, I would agree with that. I watched it, but I didn't think much at the time because I hadn't really spotted him uh, no. moving around that much. But actually, when you watched it back, he was doing a lot of carrying and a lot of big hits. So, yeah. yeah. And as well, once um, he, he kind of got brushed off for uh, Randrada's score, but he went off straight after that. So, obviously, he picked up the knock before. Yeah. And that, that's affected him in making the tackle. Yeah. He went down after the first phase of play. He was, he was I think right. he'd started to struggle his leg all, like, straight away. He was getting stretched off there and then. So, you know, I think he'd done well to last that length of time. And there's maybe an argument, you know, again, these young boys are coming in. And they, you'd never want to go off, especially your first first start at Murrayfield. You, you don't want to be subbed off early. But, you know, if, you, if you've went down and you're injured, there's there's maybe an onus on the guys to say, you know what, you're going to have hunters or more chances, mate. Yeah. Don't you worry. Off you come. It's interesting that, I mean, we, we were talking then about the, you know, the hunger to play for Scotland. There was also an interesting interview with Sean Maitland just before the game at the weekend where he said Gregor Townsend had phoned him up and I think some people have questioned Maitland's mentality and his yeah. commitment to Scotland in the past. And you know, Townsend had phoned him up and said, "I'm resting you for the summer," and he said, "Look, I'm th- you know I'm 30. I'm not going to have m- many more chances to get caps. I want to come on tour." And almost, had to, you know, almost sort of like forced his way forced, on, forced forced off the plane in a way. He was he was absolutely <laughs> clawing to get on the summer tour, and I hadn't quite appreciated that. I would have thought guys that like that would be you know after a heavy season in the English Premiership would be pleased with the rest, but it's. It's encouraging to see that sort of hunger right through the squad, and that's testament, I think, to the to the sort of the mindset that that Townsend's putting in them all. And hopefully that puts to bed the whole um, you know argument about players perhaps just coming over from the their their country of birth and perhaps uh, just taking the second option uh, because they couldn't become an All Black or a or a, a Safar or or whatever. I think you know hopefully that that kind of puts that to bed because again I would agree with you. I think Maitland has at times shown maybe you know you've kind of looked up and thought nah he's 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 kind of content doing his thing. He's not really that bothered. But that, I mean that's a great story and as you say really really good to hear. Um, the next one I've got one from FF. Uh, who said that Dunbar wasn't a rocking defence early in the first half? Radraja glided past them and almost sparked a Fijian length of the pitch try. In fact, whenever Radraja ran at him, it looked like we were in trouble. Um, I'm no, I don't think. I mean, you can't. I think tackling is one part of defence. There's the other parts that you don't see. And what Dunbar does is he slows the ball down a lot. He is br- really quick to the breakdown. He I don't like think an auxiliary flanker almost. He is, yeah, and you don't. I don't think it, he gets enough credit for that. So, I, I kind of get what FF is saying, but the, there's a couple of things. One is maybe we Scotland haven't quite got the defensive system sorted out after Wales. Maybe there is there are gaps there that that teams are looking to exploit in the 12, 13, 14 channel. But you can't. I, I think we maybe expect too much sometimes that that players are going to make every single tackle, especially against someone like Radrada, who who is a phenomenal player. I mean, he 
he really stood out for Fiji, and he has got some fend on him as well. I mean, was it um, Wilson? He fended off for the try. There was somebody who went for a tackle, and he just. Right, I was uh, Jimmy Ritchie. Jimmy Ritchie. Jimmy Ritchie. And he swatted him off like it, like it was absolutely nothing. And yeah, and yeah, and it's hard. You know, you look at the angles he was running, and the best defenders in the world are going to struggle with those sorts of angles. So I mean, sorry, when he was I mean when he was playing for the Barbas, he made absolute mincemeat of England. Uh, you know, it was well, he was getting a lot of good ball from Finn, obviously, but he he absolutely <laughs> tore them to shreds. Um, so, you know, there's sometimes you just have to hold your hands up and say, no, that guy's just really good. It would take something phenomenal to stop him. Yeah. If you get if you get him one-on-one against a player, you would back him nine times out of ten to beat that player, no matter who that player was. Yeah. Um, and, you know, right, aye, Dunbar's, it, it was made to look daft on that first play. He, he, you know, the hand, the, the fend came off, he dropped him. Dunbar did look a bit slow as well, coming out, which... You know, probably gives he was a lot um, of he was poorly overnight apparently. Was he? Yeah. All right, okay. Uh, that's why that's why he came off after forty eight minutes. Ah, there you are. See, and that's that's something that's not been mentioned at all. We just go straight to yeah, world class player hands off our guy so he can't defend, uh, as opposed to considering the possibility that you know what maybe that guy's just really bloody good at attacking. Yeah. I, I would I think that's I think there's a lot to that and I I think I think Dunbar's future in Scotland lies at 13. And I'm not saying that you drop for a minute saying before people get excited in the comment section. I'm not suggesting for a minute that you you don't start Hugh Jones. I'm just saying that there is an option there to have that you you slot Dunbar into the 13 queue because I don't think he's the 12 that Scotland are looking for or need because as demonstrated during the game his kicking game is awful. <laughs> well, um, yeah, because you know we're maybe going for that double playmaker thing. You know, when I see Dunbar at thirteen, I'm so like, eh, I don't think that's his best spot. But he, uh, there was a especially a moment in the second half where he barreled through a couple of Fiji players and then played a lovely offload. Um, he's he's running game. You know, he's a big lad. His running yeah. game's exceptional. Um, so I think he might have. I mean, if you've got him on the bench, you can bring him on for for either uh, the 12 or 13 if you're not going to start him. Um, unless that's Adam Hastings that's playing at 12, obviously, because you're never taking him off. <laughs> <laughs> off Finn, sorry. What, what, I mean, I, I thought of um, FF mentioned Chris Harris and he thought Chris Harris was defensively much better. And a couple of people have um, in the comments have mentioned Chris Harris getting knocking on, but I mean, he was absolutely walloped in the tackle, which is why he ended up spilling the ball on the 22. But I thought Harris... It looked, sort of finally looked like what Townsend's been telling us he's like, if that makes sense. Because we, we, Townsend keeps saying he can do it, this boy's good, this boy's got the whole package, he's defensively one of the best players I've seen. And I think that this is the that's the first game we've ever really seen him do it. I think he was very, very strong, actually, when he came on. Um, particularly, again, watching it back, seeing the, the composure to play the pass for for Seymour's third try, um, we we often disregard how hard that is to play that pass at pace with the size of defence that's coming up against you, ready to, and he got absolutely obliterated by the defence after playing the pass to the point where I believe the boy was sighted actually after it. Um, so you know it's 
he, he's he's been very very composed, and it wouldn't be unexpected given the level of abuse. And we know we know players listen to this podcast. We know players read comments, read blogs, read forums. We know they see things, and it would not be unexpected if he had read things and went. Phew. Oh well, I, I'm no, you know, I'm a bit nervous about stepping on a part with a Scotland jersey on again. Um, and if we think back as well, you know, again, just to go back to, I'm not labouring the point on his pass. I think it was very, very composed. Look at Hugh Jones in the Six Nations yeah. against Ireland. Um, you know, same same scenario. One pass in, it's try time, and he fluffs it. And Hugh Jones is, don't get me wrong, a world-class player. No matter what people say about his defence, he's a world-class player. And he can pass, and he does pass. But Harris made it look very, very easy again. And that, that's a sign of a very, very confident and decent player. Yeah. Um, John, what have you got? Have you got... Uh, you pull something I, I've, got, I've, I've got one apart more from, comment. Apart, uh, from, apart from, like, you know, buttering me up and fluffing my ego. Well, you know, someone's got to do it, Cammy. Um, so, actually, I mean, we'll go for the opposite. Actually, come, come and think. You've, you've, you've led this in really well. So, um, I've picked out on the player ratings um, a really small comment, actually, and it's uh, the second of the stews, who simply says, "Stop doing these ratings eight pints down, Cammy." <laughs> <laughs> I can I tell you. Probably... Well, I can tell you where I was. I was when I did these ratings. I was. Two hours into a forty-five minute train journey, um, uh, in a carriage next to people uh, drunk singing "Build Me Up Buttercup" at the tops of their nice. lungs. So when that, yeah, I was, I was not, I was not in as good a place as it may appear when I was writing these player ratings. I'll just say that. <laughs> yes, but you had by that point met the, the beard of Scottish rugby. So... I had, and that had put a spring in my step. It would, it would, it would do to anyone, but, um, but yes, I think. Um, the yeah, I think the general consensus about the new new style of play ratings, which of course you introduced, and uh, the, the general consensus seems to be a welcome change. Uh, we've we've both been on the receiving end of the the uh, the zero out of ten <laughs> brigade. Um, so I, I hope we we continue with this, and I look forward to seeing um, how it develops. Yeah, I think we we are looking at. I think Rory's got an idea that we might do out of twelve. We've got a new. He's got very excited and gone away and pretty much redesigned the whole website around this this sort of yes. um, <laughs> player rating sort of machine that he's building um, out back somewhere. Um, it's quite terrifying. Look at it. Looks, everywhere. Uh, exactly, it looks brilliant. But um, yeah, it was just it was the Chris Cusser comment last week where he was um it was a scotsman rating for hugh jones he took issue with and just said oh you know oh dock him to you know seven in attack but dock him two points because he misses a couple of tackles and i kind of thought he had a point and we don't doing these overall player ratings seems really is quite an arbitrary thing and i think that's kind of the point i was trying to make when i gave everyone not out of 10 was well what's the point you know give you giving people points for effort at that point but if you break down what is required of a player and you think about it in terms of well look that guy's playing prop you can't expect him to be doing the same things in attack as a Stuart Hogg so how do we how should we be scoring it and I think that I started on the basis of well you split the score five out of ten five out of five for attack and out of five for your defense it's quite a simple way to do it and then you get your mark out of ten they ended up higher than I thought they would to be fair I wasn't I wouldn't have given Sam Skinner a ten if I'd been doing it normally but there maybe that would have been unfair not to 
because he made all his tackles in defence, five out of five, and I thought he was really good in attack. So I, where do you go from there? You can't. If we're arbitrarily just saying you never give anybody a ten, then what's the point of marking people out of ten? If that makes sense. So yeah. Anyway, it's it's a new way of doing things, and um, yeah, it seems to have some legs. Hopefully. Excellent. Um, the only thing Stu too also said the second of the Stu's as you said also said that I'm clearly looking to wind up someone with with uh, Ryan Wilson's rating uh, other than giving <laughs> away a pen and a forward pass he didn't really do anything and he did quite a lot he made a couple of really lovely offloads I thought he was he was hitting his rooks he it was one of the better, better perform- he rooked really up for that game um, I, I thought it was one- very decent yeah and not just not just because he had a headband to make him look like Richie. <laughs> I think he's a sort of like a, almost a back row version of Peter Horn. You don't notice a lot of the stuff he's doing, but he's he's a workhorse. I admit, he's not, you know, I, I don't think a lot of us particularly think he's a number eight as such, or your classic mode of a number eight. But uh, he will get in people's faces. Mm-hmm. He will slow ball down, and he will hit people hard. I think that's he's always... a, yeah he's a six I think he's the sort of he, is. he he's a six in the Rob Harley mode of just he will inflict a lot of pain on people that you don't see and as Ken Owens knows found out last week you know it's <laughs> it's that kind of thing that he does the dirty work it's the uh, you know the sort of making players think twice before going into contact with Scotland you need a player like that who's making people ask those questions of themselves. Yeah, that seems it seems very fair. We're always crying out, saying we don't have enough, and it's normally our second second rows we talk about. We don't have enough horrible second rows. We need we need Nathan Hines starting again. When <laughs> actually you look in the back row and you've got Ryan Wilson, who is, for all intents and purposes, a horrible, horrible person to play against. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. Um, any more from you, Ian? Did you have any yeah, more sorry. Just yeah. Had, yeah, sorry, just had, uh, had a wee um, turn my mic on malfunction there. Um, yeah, uh, there's one that I, uh, I disagree with. It's, it's almost like a wee chat that occurs between uh, Scrummo and um, Neil, who obviously was very polite about me and John one time. Um, <laughs> but the rest of the time, he's, he's always arguing with folk. Um, so Scrummo has picked, uh, he, he believes that we need a 958 kilogram pack. So he's picked this out as... <laughs> <laughs> he's a re- what, what do they call it? Retro-engineering. <laughs> <laughs> so it's um, uh, McCallum, Murray McCallum, um, Kevin Bryce at Hooker, Fagerson. <laughs> uh, so I'll give you uh, McCallum 118 kgs, Bryce 120, Fagerson 126, Richie Gray 126, Johnny Gray 119, uh, Strauss, uh, I'm assuming this is at 616, Bradbury 114, and Denton 119. Uh, sick of being bullied, let's just smash all comers. That's not our style, um, but it, it, this goes on, by the way. Also, does anyone else think, his next comment down is, also, does anyone else think Hamish Spotchen would be a great hooker? Got the right belt that could, <laughs> and could pack a stone on it and be a great jackling and carrying hooker. So then Neil chips in. Scrummel, I think he could be our answer to our loose head issues. He can throw people twice his size of him with his left arm, has low centre of gravi- gravity and extremely powerful. But then this... I think Highland Bear sums it up for... Um, well, I think what I would have replied. Didn't Frank Haven hadn't have a similar cunning plan for the 2007 World Cup? Players <laughs> really built up at the expense of mobility. 
and that didn't go too well. Yeah. Um, I just it's just not our style at the moment no. to go smashing folk. Uh, if we, you know, if you try and do that against South Africa, you'll just end up getting battled anyway. So it's probably better to run around them, try and knock them out. That's it. We, we, yeah, we, we try to play the fastest brand of rugby, and you're not going to do that with twenty stone props. That's you know, we'll leave that to the French. <laughs> just uh, that person was eight pints down when they commented that. That was bonkers. I mean, if, uh, I mean, if so, I'd be quite worried because this was posted at like half twelve in the afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good weekend. It was a very yeah. good weekend. Two, two November. What day was that? Uh, Sunday. Uh, Sunday. Uh, oh well. Hungover. <laughs> Hungover. So well, that's good. I think we're all uh, on consensus with that one. Um, we'll we'll move on. Um, the, a bit of a squad update and a bit of a curveball. This um, for the, I'd be surprised if people didn't know, but um, Blade Thompson's out now. Looks like for the rest of the autumn because of his head knock against Edinburgh and called up in his place in what might be possibly peak Tuni Tumbola. It's Gary Graham who. Um, <laughs> less than 12 months ago was was a member of the England squad um <laughs> he was named as a first reserve which is like the you know the one below the replacements for the Italy game for England but didn't get anywhere near didn't even get near the bench um then wasn't selected for the summer tour I think he was fit and, and hasn't been selected in the autumn so clearly um I think people were suggesting at the time that it might be a bit of mind games from Eddie Jones because we'd called up Chris Harris um, and that certainly seems like it might be the case. Uh, but yeah, he's he's called up Gregor Townsend by all accounts and said, and Townsend never closed the door and has said, oh, look, I'm up for this. Um, I would like to play for you now. And and lo and behold, here he is in the squad. Um, th- there's a lot, a lot of talking points here, John, but I mean, is this, are you, you for this? Yes, I think, I think I am for it. I... I don't think he'll be anywhere near our World Cup squad, but I think we have such a small player group that we cannot look this opportunity uh, and, and, and look at it and turn it down. I think he's going very well this season. Uh, when he's been, when I've seen him playing playing at Newcastle, he, he's he's abrasive. He's a limited player, but uh, he, he gets about and and does some hard work. I think there's there's an element of gamesmanship here. I think I think Tooney is playing uh, playing Eddie's game slightly, um, which I think's hilarious, and I'm I'm all down with that to be honest. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I I think I heard it earlier on that you know obviously it's a year ago or so that he's in England camp, and not much will have changed from from Eddie Jones's plans. There and you no, know, there's a benefit to that. Yeah, but you know, is is he is he going to be even fifth or sixth choice back row for Scotland? I don't think so. Yeah, Ian, are you um are you happy with with the uh, the turnabout? Well, you know, if he's made himself, if he's committed, you know, he was um you know the quotes were attributed to him. But he said he wanted to like, what is it, make a thousand tackles and rub Scotland's face on it. Uh, he's he's coming from a bit of an angry angle there. Um, I do think as well was that someone said that I think that was I don't, 
is it an interview with his dad even in the Daily Mail? It was, yeah. It was the um, yeah. him and him and uh, his old old man George, um, former Scotland yeah. pop. Um, and I think so, when you looked at it, it was it is kind of they're just sort of ribbing each other. You know that it it's the sort of yeah. chat you'd get between a dad and son who support different teams. Yeah. Do you know what it reminds me of? It's whenever like. If Andy Murray's playing and there's uh, you know comments open on it, there's always someone going, "I hope he loses because he hates England." It's like uh, yeah, and do you remember the context of that interview when Andy Murray said he would be sporting anyone at England at the Football World Cup? That's because he was getting interviewed by Tim Henman, and Tim Henman says, "So Andy, that's uh, Scotland at the World Cup. So you're going to be sporting." So you know that's it's the context of it. Once it's put in, you know, like that, it makes sense. Um, but yeah. uh, if he's, and like John said, you know, if you're going to need like Barclay, Watson, Bradbury, Ritchie maybe to go down um, before Graham would get a look into the World Cup squad. But if he's, you know, if he's well and able, uh, and if he's, you know, if he can pull a Strauss-like performance out of the hat, yeah, um, then why not have him? Yeah, I mean, there's um, that interview is really interesting if you look at it because you can't. It, what it does do is it gives you a sense of how what he went through to get to play for Newcastle. Um, you know, he was saying a lot he was in the twenty twelve Junior World Cup squad, sort of had to that was then sort of wasn't then picked up by the SRU, went away and played for Gala again for a couple of seasons, nothing much happened. Got off Jersey, was it? Yeah, got offered a chance at Jersey, so took that and we both you know, grabbed that a couple of seasons down there and then picked up by Newcastle where he's gone gone really well and sort of established himself in in, in a very good Newcastle Falcons side. So you kind of, from that point of view, you can sort of understand the chip on his shoulder. If you've sort of reached a certain point as a young player and then you've almost been cast aside and forgotten about, and there must be an element to feeling like that. If you're in within the sort of under-20 squad and then other guys are getting picked up ahead of you, you can see why you'd end up with a chip on your shoulder. I think a few people have said, picked up on the fact he said it was private school, I think he said he said something about oh you know they all went to private school and I didn't and I I think when you look at it that's I don't think that's what he means because as people have pointed out Finn Russell was in that team and obviously Finn Russell didn't go to private school but what I think he means and there is a trend of this and I think there is something in this that probably bears further talk at some point but you look at the under twenty squads from twenty twelve onwards that the players come from a handful of clubs predominantly from Edinburgh. Yep. And I remember playing for Berwick and going up to Edinburgh and playing those teams. And they're very well-spoken young men from Edinburgh. And there are not many players from the borders. With well, there's, there's two. There was two in, in 2018. There was two when, when Gary Graham were playing. Um, and the borders is a big rugby region. And there's only two players in the under-20. So you can you get a sense of why someone going into that setup. As one of only two Borders players, in amongst a lot of Ember players from a handful of teams, would feel like those players had a had some sort of advantage over them, yep. and and that might be because they have better youth setups. It might be, or it might be because the selectors are linked to those clubs, and so they're choosing from their own. Yeah, but nepotism might be on show. Um, you know, yeah. maybe it's the maybe it's the. Oh, but this is the way we want to play, and this is the way these guys these guys play. Yeah, sort of attitudes. But um, you know, like you said, if if he was playing as good as what these guys were, and then not offered a contract, then obviously you would get a little bit. You'd be a bit aggrieved, wouldn't you? 
Yeah. So I can sort of understand why. When you look at the makeup of the team, I mean, there's you know there's there's air and there's one Glasgow Hawks player and things like that, but but predominantly, you know, Boroughmuir, Heriots, these sorts of places are producing a, a large proportion of the under twenty squad, and I don't. All the super super six teams, eh? Aye, it's, it can't it can't be. I don't. I it, yeah, it's. I, you know, you can't rule out the fact they might have very good youth setups, but you also can't rule out the fact that that's just where the selectors are linked to, possibly, or where people, you know, are honest, you know, don't want to drive. Who wants to drive to Jedburgh and watch Jed Forest, you know, Colts play on a rainy Saturday afternoon if they'd rather just popple five minutes along the road from Murrayfield to go and watch, you know, the Harriets Colts play? So yeah, I can understand where why he might have a chip on his shoulder when you actually look at the makeup of the teams. But um, it's also for I mean we'll talk about this maybe in hands in the rock, but it's got it's prompted England uh, fans to um, ask for a change in the rules again, as they always do when something goes against them, <laughs> uh, with the suggestion that if you are in a named in a training squad, you should be then tied to that country forever. So then. Didn't see those same players, the same people arguing that when it was, you know, Pacific Island players and wanting to go back and play for, uh, you know, who'd been tied to the All Blacks, did you? But yeah. Just think how, how, like, I'm actually concerned that we might. So I was concerned about the potential for a rift in time uh, <laughs> happening on, on Saturday, um, obviously with our, our, our cheeky cats. But can you imagine the sort of volcanic eruption of, of hate? That will come if someone like I don't know, Mister Velicott decides to throw his hat in the ring for Scotland. Now, I mean they're already on the edge, having just been, um, let's say, karmically addressed uh, by by the TMO uh, on Saturday, and obviously with Mister Graham now deciding, nah, I don't fancy knocking about with Eddie. If Velicott bails on them now, even though, I, again, I don't think he's actually like a decent or a, that good a player, and I don't think he would be anywhere near our top choices or England's, but I think the English fans, like, I would literally go on BBC Javier say just at that point to, to have a giggle. <laughs> yeah, I was waiting to see for Cammy Redpath getting called up as well. Oh, yeah, that was the other name, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, that could be the, the new trio. The, 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 what would we call them? They would be the, the sort of the three hillsmen of the, the English apocalypse or something. I, I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just finally, going with this. finally caused English rugby to sort of like a, a schism and then divide from world rugby and go and say, do you know what, lads? We're going to play with that mad Australian lads version of the game. I say, yeah. <laughs> um, the next bit of news then is, uh, and it's good that we've got you two on, um, Stuart Hogg, sadly, uh, and rather expectedly, is leaving Glasgow Warriors um, at the end of the season. And it's been confirmed, was it today or yesterday? I've lost track of today, time on my call. Today, today yeah. confirmed he's joining um, Exeter, who I'm only calling Exeter and not using their full name. Um, racist swines that they are. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, it's a good it's a good move. I think that they were saying on Blood and Mud, he's not going to get absolutely beasted like he would do if he was playing in France. Um, it's a team that probably suits his style of play. Um there's been some suggestion from some people that, that, that the SIU should have done more to keep Hogg, but I mean, my view, John, I don't know if you agree, is the the money they're about to get, the cash windfall from, from Hogg going, is can be better spent elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. There's 28 out-of-contract players at Glasgow alone this season, um, including some very, very big names, Hugh Jones, Alex Dunbar, George Horn. 
uh, you need to find cash to keep these guys. And uh, whilst, uh, you know, there was there was a part of me that was looking at the numbers and going, right, so Hogg is rumoured, and we should really caveat this and say allegedly rumoured to be on 375k, give or take, at Glasgow just now. So, you know, you'd expect, and, and I believe the SRU's offer was in the region of 400 odds. And the numbers coming from Exeter just now are just over 500k. And you're kind of thinking in the context of, you know, the, the wider piece, you're thinking, is it really that? Can we not find 100k from somewhere to match Exeter's offer um, and, and keep him? And, you know, I think he probably would have still went because I think he's he, he's really, he is actually interested in seeing some other places and winning trophies, um, yeah. which I don't, I don't think he'll necessarily do at Glasgow. But, uh, yeah, once once you look at the numbers and you see that, that Glasgow list in itself is particularly um, levelling in that you're like, there is a lot of players that need to be paid. And 400k will go quite a long way amongst that group. Yeah. So, Ian, I mean, for you, in terms of fullback next season, then who's... Do Glasgow need to go for a big name signing? Because there's some, there was some chat on Twitter. Admittedly, at least one person out with Scottish rugby um, was sort of saying, "Oh, they'll, they'll get a big name signing out, you know, around the World Cup." But is there maybe another sort of cab off the waiting to come off the rank? Another hoggy waiting in the wings, ready to come through? Well, I mean, Tom English had written an article on BBC um, saying that he thinks the Warriors will need to go big because um, you know we've lost three. But with Hoggo now, that makes it three absolutely, I mean, let's make no bones about it, world-class players. Leone Nakarawa, Finn Russell and Stuart Hogg, guys who can you know, improve and light up any league in the world. Um, I don't think there's a ready-made replacement coming through. Um, but when Hogg's been injured, I mean, Jackson's not been great this season. I thought he was better last season. Uh, obviously, Hogg is practically irreplaceable. Um talk about Seymour maybe going to the back um, to, to play at fullback. If Big Rosa Hughes can stay fit, he's not too bad. But oh, if Dave gets his little black book of all blacks out, maybe we can we can pull somebody out of there. Um, but as John was saying, I, I actually didn't realise Dunbar was out of contract. I thought he was yeah. out next year. Yeah. But there's, oh, some, there's, there's some big names in there that won't, you'd be looking to re-sign. Um, I don't even think Dave Rennie needs to pull out his big black book. I think he just needs to pick up the phone to his bosses in the SRU and um, perhaps remind them that both Blair, Blair Kinghorn and Darcy Graham are out of contract this summer. <laughs> um, <laughs> Once you started saying that, I was like, well, hang on, we've given Edinburgh a few players right. over the years. Go on, give us the kick. I, 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 would, I, I mean, I'm not generally a fan of that. I, I, I don't mind his realigning uh, talent and stuff like that. And, you know, obviously in Scotland, we do this for the best. We try to get the best players playing regularly. You have, Glasgow have rehabilitated some, 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 um, some, 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 players. You know, Lee, Lee jo- I mean, you know, Lee Jones was cast aside by Edinburgh and, you know, yep. lo and behold, yep. he's, you know, back in the Scotland setup and played absolute worldies for Glasgow. So, yep. Yeah, and Garth as well. He came yeah. over and had right. a, he did a good run with us. Um, I was Tommy, Tommy Seymour was an Ulster reject. That's right. Yeah. Um, 
Phillips, right? No, frankly, give us Darcy Graham. We'll be fine. Uh, I'm, I'm, um, quite, I'm quite comfortable with that. What about Stafford? I mean, is Stafford McDowell an option? Because he's plays centre, but he's he can cover fullback. Is that, do you think that would be worth a go? Or you, he, he played quite well the other day against Munster. He'd be very much in the same, same uh, style as Blair Kinghorn. And that he's a very, very tall, lanky runner. Big uh, big, he's a big, big loon. Personally, I see he's actually got really decent hands on him, and I see his future at twelve. Um, I think he he could be the sort of the hybrid that we're actually looking for between a, a sort of Horn and Dunbar kind of player that has has good hands, good distribution, a decent kicking game, but is also just absolutely massive and wants to go and smash people. Um, so no, I would keep him at twelve. I think I think we the chat. We're, we're, I think. Get away from the idea that we're going to sign a big name. It's absolutely not going to happen. Um, we we will be looking at either realigning from Edinburgh, promoting from within, or we'll be looking at some sort of unknown Scottish qualified player who who's available. Yeah, I was maybe going to suggest some kind of sort of a sort of Matawalu or Nakarawa kind of Pacific Island gem. Pick yep. it for somewhere. Yeah, I mean, someone that's... was saying. Oh, sorry, Cammy. No, go. you go on, John. I was going to say someone. Someone mentioned earlier on as well on on something I was reading, um, looking at potentially looking at rugby league converts, because fullback is one of those positions that actually aligns itself quite nicely to rugby league, um, and they were saying you know the the potential for getting someone with the right skill set, you know, the high ball game, decent kicking. Um, pace and, and line break um, from rugby league would be would be quite high and also we need to remember that just because you've represented a country in rugby league doesn't tie you to that country for union no. so any English player any Australian all black whatever would be eligible to play for Scotland yeah no, I think it's a it's a good call I was going to say the um, the other option is to get someone in for a season just to cover if there is a youngster ready to come through, that'd be the other option, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Is there any really? Exp- oh, I know. Got it solved. Actually, think about it. Just clicked, guys. Jack Cuth- Cuthbert will be available. There we go. Sorted. Sorted. That's it. That's answered that one. Um, no, I, I'm picking up the phone to Dave just now. I'm going to sort this out because, um, <laughs> we don't need this. Uh, we don't need this uh, uncertainty. Yeah, get it sorted. Like last season, you know, there was we were all moaning about Glasgow not making any signings. So let's get one through the door early. That's it. Can you imagine the uproar if Jack Cuthbert rocked up at Scotland? <laughs> I'll literally think we'd burnt down these stand and be done with it. Um, <laughs> speaking of uh, uproar at Scotland, um, today it's been announced <laughs> that, um, that we're finally getting a Scottish professional players union. Uh, Tim Swinson is going to be the chairman. Um, and this has come about, and nobody knew about this, that... Um, Glasgow weren't players weren't played their, their uh, bonuses for qualifying for yeah. Europe a couple of seasons ago. Um, and Tim Swinson has actually come out today and said he, he's not saying that it definitely did, but the the year that, that they didn't make the playoffs, Townsend's final year, he was saying, well that that was when we had ten months worth of dispute with the SRU. Yeah, it was quite interesting the way he worded it, wasn't it? It was like you know, I'm not saying that's why it happened, but you know, it's the only year that it did happen. Yeah. Make of that what you will. Yeah, um, it's it's an absolute sin that we've got to this stage where you know we've not had one, and I think we were the last sort of tier one professional nation to get one. Yeah, um, and you know, 
actually getting Tim Swinson to be the chairman that's that's a great shout because he's got the best facial hair. Uh, I, I was um, I like uh, they were those interviewing him on the the other the BBC podcast the professional one um, and. <laughs> He, they were, I think Tom English was asking him, you know, are you not worried about repercussions? And I was thinking, who's good at make repercussions at Tim Swinson? Mikey, just have to glance. You know, the, the merest suggestion, oh Tim, you know, you, you want a contract next year? Maybe you want to just drop that thing. Just one look from Tim Swinson, so like, oh, what do you want to anything? You know, <laughs> we'll sort you. Um, yeah, so, take, take your NDA and uh, do what you will with it. it. It is worrying, though. I think that the one thing that came out of that is when we all, you know, we were talking over the summer about, and we'll, you know, again, we'll go into more detail about this, no doubt, in future podcasts. But you know, you look at the everyone's saying, look, the the problems with the ASRU were confined to a disciplinary matter with Keith Russell and some NDAs, and that's that. And everyone looked at it, and it all came out, and everyone says, oh well, fair enough, that's that. It's obviously just confined to a handful of people and everyone's learnt the lesson and moved on. But it's obviously not just confined to non-playing staff. There is obviously a huge issue with how playing staff have been dealt with. And that's just, you know, Tim Swinson saying that's just one example. He brought up the John Hardy issue. Sit, and I think Tom English was hinting there's quite a lot of people, um, players were upset about how that was handled. And if you look at it, it was handled fairly badly. You know, it, the, the suggestion is that Hardy didn't have any representation. I don't know if that's true or not, but that seems to be the suggestion added to the fact that all the stuff then leaked out about it and that's I, I doubt that's going to have come from John Hardy so all of a sudden you get these Chinese whispers that's clearly come from somewhere and there's very little protection for John Hardy and he's sort of been left to sort himself out um, thankfully found a club but there is I would say a suggestion that, uh, that, that, that all is not well at the big house at Murrayfield and the way things are being run, not just with the non-playing stuff, but with, with the playing stuff as well. Yeah, and if that starts bleeding onto the field, fans notice, and then that's, you know, that's when everyone will get their back up. That's when, you know, in the SRU, we'll see, um, you know, well, for example, if we take Finn Russell last season, he wasn't at his best, and a lot of that was probably due to what was going on with his dad. Um, so, you know, if it starts to, if you're sort of Backhouse shenanigans bleed onto the pitch. You're going to get um, sixty-seven thousand angry people rather than sixty-seven thousand people who are right behind the team. Yeah. What What I want to know as well is in Tim Swinson's uh, comments, he talks about the <laughs> he talks about the the Glasgow bonus issue, and he says it got to the point where we had to inform our line manager <laughs> that we were taking them to tribunal. <laughs> I was like. Who's Tim Swenson's line manager? Because, <laughs> I mean, I want to see this hierarchy. <laughs> is it the former coach or is it like Tooney? Or... I, I don't know. Or is it some unknown in SRU that's like, like you know, done his master MBA and is like line managing Swenson? I mean, would they would they have would they apply the sort of Amazon approach of the two pizzas rule? You know, no team can be bigger than. Um, being able to eat or, or be, you know, needing more than two pizzas for a team meeting? Um, would it be just be Swenson and the rest of the, the facial hair gang? I don't know. There's, have, there's, you, there's um, of... have you ever seen the film The Office? Office Space, in fact. Office, 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 Office Space. Office Space. Yeah, I just, so so I, had, I just had an image of all the Glasgow players sat in little booths. <laughs> <laughs> so Gary like, Cole walking around like, yeah. Bill Lumberg. So I'm like, yeah. Tinny walking around with a cup of coffee. Going, Saturday, yeah, Friday. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Finn, the fax machine's on the blink again. 
Ben puts his gangster There's... rap on and smashes the printer. Talking of, talking of bonuses and payments and stuff, did you see uh, the article in The Guardian about the Japanese players? £13 a day. Yeah, the pair deems 13 quid a day. And the hotel, the hotel they're staying in, a burger and chips is thirteen pounds seventy-five. Oh no! <laughs> That's ridiculous. Yeah. That's um, we'll we'll move on. We've not done jingles for us. I'm gonna we'll, I'm gonna bring them back. So here we go. We'll we'll start with this. Yeah, it's um, it's where's Dougie Donnelly? A bit of a special one this week, um, because I was at uh, Murrayfield and I was there super early, because uh, I misjudged um, the trams. Um, I saw Doddy Weir, I saw Al nice. Kellogg, who I and I almost, almost had the courage to ask why he'd blocked me on Twitter, but <laughs> I was there. I was in a very cold, dark corner of Murrayfield on my own. <laughs> No, he's this quite is, large as well, isn't he? He is, he's yes. He's, he is still a big boy, despite the fact he doesn't play rugby anymore, so I decided not to. Now, here's the interesting thing. I also saw and walked past Dougie Vipond and John Barkley, and I am <laughs> I am taller than them both, not combined, not one on top of the other, but taller than both John Barkley and, and Dougie Vipond, and I'm 6'1". Now, I thought, hang on, I'm sure John Barkley's taller than me, in theory, and on Wikipedia, he's down a 6'3". On the SRU and the Embra websites, John Barkley is listed as six foot two. How tall is John Barkley? Because I'm six one, and he was—I might have been stood on a slope, admittedly, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure I was—I was taller than I think he's six foot. I think the Embra, Wikipedia, and Embra websites are wrong, so I'm calling bobbins on that. This is another one of these examples of us asking the real questions. It is. Fans, you know, really we need we need answers. video evidence from the Ember yeah. media team of them with a tape measure measuring John Barkley. <laughs> Independently approved tape measures. That's it, and not not including not including that wee bit of area standing up as well. Oh, yeah, no, God, yeah, no, no, it's got to be flattened. And, hair and flattened. Shoes, shoes are important as well. You know? Yep, shoes are very I important. Ross Ford that actually does the measuring. Just, just, <laughs> I, I, I just, I just feel that's necessary. <laughs> so yeah, if anyone from the Ember Media team is listening, uh, we don't, we don't believe that John Barkley is, um, is, is six foot two. Um, due to science, we've applied science to that because I walked past him and he was smaller than me. Um, <laughs> How nice is Dougie Vipon though? He's a lovely guy. He was well. They both they were lost. Um, oh. They were walking around Murrayfield and they were trying to work out which which entrance they should go in. I was talking to Dougie last time I was over at Scottsdale on on official uh, Hogwarts business, and uh, yeah, Dougie was chatting away to us. He was really nice. Yeah. He went and got me. He got me a coffee because he oh, could see it was nice. cl- clearly cold. Um, it was actually quite a bad coffee. So sorry, Dougie. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't make it, man. It's all right. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. You you've not been to the press since Scottsdale. He did make it. Oh, no, one, oh, no one made this for him. I, I, I just like my little cheap seat. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody made this for him. Um, John, you were your own. Where's Dougie Donnelly? As, as we've hinted at earlier, um, someone yeah. someone spotted you at the up and under in the toilets, did they not? They did. Yes. Um, in my slightly drunken state. I'm, I'm I'm only calling slightly. I may have been poured into my house later on in the evening, but at this point, I was only slightly drunk. Um, I was chatting away to someone in the the toilets in the up and under, as you do, um, and the, the the young gentleman um, got very excited and was like, "You're you're 
it's G and Anderhey. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not sure he knows which part of the the two-headed beast from the West that we are um, that I actually am. But um, yeah, if you could, uh, sorry, are you going to either of the no. next two games? Uh, I no, no, I'm not actually. Oh, I'm going to both. Oh, we, we, could have, we could have put the room at our bed that we are actually separate human no, beings. Oh, I, I like it. I like it. I think the confusion <laughs> that this leads to. I mean, just think of the possibilities. This is kind of like our own version of Face Off. Um, <laughs> oh, bags of being that cage. <laughs> but no, it was it was great. It actually, it was very very positive about the podcast, and um, we bumped into a lot of a lot of friends of the pod. Yeah. Um, that were very very um nice about it all and yeah it's it's nice to nice to see people taking um enjoying the content that we put out yes just don't approach us in toilets uh, yeah, try, well, yeah, well try not to get excited in toilets next to us we're, we're from glasgow this is kind of this is kind of just standard behavior it's fine <laughs> um i am um... like in your mouth with your teeth a plastic Scotsman paint cup and holding your teeth. Yeah, it was actually, yeah. and Johnny Gray's face was on it. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Classic. Um, I uh, finally met yeah, the beard of Scottish rugby. Um, that was my Where's Doogie Donnelly. I, I met Ian Wallace. There's my Where's Doogie Donnelly. Um, and, and also, um, uh, podcast listener and Stuart Hogg lookalike, Cameron Scott. Was very confu- <laughs> I was very confused. I wandered into the up and under, and there was, uh, there was Ian, and there, with this... With with what looked for all purposes like Stuart Hogg, and it took me a good couple of minutes to go. That can't be Hoggy. <laughs> it was very loud, and I couldn't quite hear what 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 Cameron was saying to me. He was very. He, I, I think he was telling me like the podcast, but he kept saying something about Stuart Hogg, and I thought, is he? Is he Stuart Hogg? Stuart <laughs> Just refer him to Stuart Hogg. Just refer himself in the third person, like the Rock. Maybe <laughs> I. Well, Ian, Ian is uh, no Ian. Ian uh, Wallace has detite, decided that um, young the young man's name is now Hoglet. Yes, and, um, and actually, Ian got in touch for once we get to Hands on the Rock regarding he he's 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 disappointed, devastated, if you will, uh, about finding Hoglet and losing Hoggy in the same week. It says oh this, no, this affected him deeply. Well, let's let's get straight into that. let's do the let's get to the jingle for that. But, Uh, yeah, time for Hands in the Rock then, or any other business part of the podcast. Um, so you've got one for me, and did you say Hands in the Rock, John? Yes, I have. Uh, yes, he was, uh, as I was saying, he's uh, a bit a bit devastated at, at finding young Hoglet and um, losing Stuart Hogg all in the same week. He's has uh, truly broken his heart. He is <laughs> devastated. Maybe that's the answer at 15. I Maybe it is. Maybe maybe, maybe just start turning up Cameron and see if they'll give you a game. To be fair to the young gentleman, he, he has he has more hair than Stuart even after the plugs. <laughs> <laughs> but he does look slightly sturdier than Hoglet yes. uh, than Hoggy, sorry. Yeah. So you know, I think it could be an option. Could be an option. Um, oh, go. We've we've had. Um, I'm trying to say, will we get any hands in there? We've had quite quite a lot of hands in the rock just for England players in general. Yeah, um, <laughs> mainly a lot of people saying just the fact that England want to change the offside laws just before they lost. Um, hello to Rob Kitson of the Guardian. Um, is that your hands in the rookie in the Guardian? 
Uh, no, no, that, that's been my hands in the ruck before. Yeah. Um, but I did read that. And basically every week with him, it's some hand-rigging horse manure. Um, I don't know, what, no, what, that, what's that, the suggestion that they change it to the offside rule then? Is it that, 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 that they're, they're further back or they're further forward? I or I, he, he, he didn't even answer that question himself from what I read. I, mean, I read it just before I went into work. I was, I was about 10, 15 minutes early. So I thought, oh, I'll have a wee vape and read this article because this looks like nonsense. Oh, for Christ's sakes, Kitson, what are you? Jesus. Uh, he's just a constant misery guts. You know, he, he really grinds my gears. But he's not got his hands in my ruck this week. What's, what's gone, got his hands in your ruck this that's week? That's gone to Mr. Ben Skeen, the TMO on Saturday. Because oh. it's not the first time he has ripped man hitting. Um, <laughs> So, for example, like the first time that he was drawn to my attention that made me think, oh, I don't like you much, son, um, was when he yellow-carded Sean Maitland in that infamous World Cup quarterfinal uh, for a, what was allegedly a deliberate knock-on, even though Maitland got pretty much his entire hand on the ball, had it flicked up in the air and was then about a foot away from the catching it and scoring a try himself. Australia then went and scored in the corner that he would have been defending. Um, and then... For the Fraser Brown try. Well, let's just—I tell you what we'll do before that. Let's. This this was also Gregor Townsend's hands in the rock. He didn't say as much, but I could tell from from. I looked him in the eye and I could tell that he was saying, "Cammy, this is my hands in the rock this week." <laughs> Go on. <laughs> so uh, here's here's what Gregor Townsend had to say about the uh, TMO calls. Yeah, I was, look, I was disappointed with it, that decision. Um, I couldn't I couldn't believe that that wasn't a try. Uh, and if it wasn't a try, there was I think two or three Fijian players offside to to stop the try. <clears throat> So, well, for for me, we need consistency in that area. If, if Tamo's coming in for that, the referee's awarded a try in front of him, but not coming in for a, a tackle that was definitely high on on Finn Russell. In this climate of high tackles, then questions have to be asked. What 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 is the role? Uh, so yeah, um, the 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 Brown try then, Ian. You you uh, yeah, he was. When you said that was Tooney's hand in the rock, I thought you meant it was a guy that's uh, a commenter on the blog. No, <laughs> no, it genuinely was. I know. From, from Fraser Brown touching the ball down to when the time actually goes off, uh, it's like a minute before he goes, oh, I just want to check it. And then it's, it's like <laughs> 90, seconds, 90 seconds have passed before time's actually off. You know, Laidlaw's been lining up waiting. Um, they've showed the replay twice on the big screen. Yeah, It's a clear grounding of the ball. He then goes to watch the replay four times. How much time do you need? I mean, he's even... One time he got told off by Nigel Owens. I can't remember. I think it was a Six Nations game, and I could hear his voice. I'm like, oh, Christ, we're going to be here for about a week now. And Nigel Owens actually just sort of went, no, no. He's like, oh, I just want to check one more ankle, Nigel. And Nigel Owens went, no, I'm trying to referee a game of rugby. Yeah, come on, no. I'm happy with my own decision. We're going. That's, just, oh, sorry, that's what I sorry, can work Nigel. out. That's what I can work out is is the 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 they're supposed to be doing this trial, aren't they, during the autumn tests that says the TMO intervention should be minimal and you're relying on on field decisions. And both the brown tries that were checked and one was chalked off, the, the referee was happy with both, and he was in a good. It's not like he wasn't in a good position for both. Yeah, particularly the first one. I mean, the second one's a wee bit contentious with with Richie. Um, yeah, but then for Matters try, Yato's offload looks a bit forward. Yeah, and he didn't look at that once, um, and then there was a high shot on Finn Russell, which is a, that's a card all day long, and they've said it's the a chest. Job all day long. I mean, they look at they've quickly looked at two angles, and he's gone ah PKR like this enough. He's like, only no, looked, he looked, looked at it. and the, the only angle that I could see that they looked at it from was from behind, 
Yeah, from, so you from mean, like you saw looks, Russell's back. Yeah, so it looks like the shoulder's gone up to the face. So surely you go, hang on, I want to maybe look at the Fijian player. I think uh, was it Maweni? Uh, was that his name? I can't remember. Um, replacement uh, fullback. The left shoulder is definitely up. There's not much in an attempt to wrap, and it does look like he's scudded Finn in the, the chin. Yeah. Um, and then just quickly, just like nah, PK. It was like, all right, you took four weeks to award Fraser Brown to try. And <laughs> it didn't just, even bounce, like, yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's bounced up. Yeah, it's bounced up after he's grounded the ball and then gone, all right, that's me scored to try now. I can let go of it. And a Fiji player's kicked it up in the air. Well, we got a hand on it and flicked it up in the air. It was, mm. yeah, he, he does this all the time whenever he's been a TMO. He, just, he always insists on, well, con- conversely in this, from what I've just said, when it's a Scotland uh, a possible infringement against Scotland, he wants to see angle after angle after angle, and just like get on with it. I mean, you yeah. don't. How many times do you need to see it to make a call? I know. I mean, they never went and checked the um, the the forearm smash on Sam Skinner as well in the second half because he was, yeah. he was clearly taken down by 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 an arm. The Fijian player yeah, might have been accidental, the, but yeah, yeah, that was um, oh, that was the other fullback. The, the sorry, the winger number fourteen who's got a really long name uh, was it. Palabolo Muller. Yeah. Um, yeah, that looked that looked high, and Skinner's a big boy. Um, so that should have been reviewed, he's, I would have thought. He's quite a stocky wee lad as well, Louis fourteen. You know, so you can see he's actually had to, like, jump into swinging. <laughs> <it>. Swinging. <laughs> it's like scrappy-doo taking on a, you know, taking on a, a masked murderer. It's ridiculous. It's like Nick Gregg on Jim Hamilton. I basically, yeah. <laughs> Um, very good. Um, my hands up before I come to yours in a minute, John. My my hands in the rock is quite a nice one. I, I really um, I was watching it back today, and I hadn't really struck me at the time. Just the spirit in which the game was played. It was there was absolutely huge hits going in from both sides. But you watch every time play stops, you know the hands are out for you know Scottish players are pulling Fiji players to their feet. They're all patting each other on the back. They're all giving each other cuddles in the middle of the game. And the whistle well, goes and they're smashing between. lumps out of each other again. It just what I liked about it is you know, there's no handbags whatsoever. Everything was played in the right kind of spirit. And that was quite it's quite unusual to see that these days. There was no needle at all. It was just right, let's smash each other. Oh, the referee's blown up. Right, let's just you know, I'll, I'll help you up, you help me up, let's have a wee bit of a pat on the back and let's get on with it. So it was no that was quite unusual. And um you went at the game, you wouldn't have heard this, but there was a wee exchange between um is it Mafu and Nell. Uh, a scrum, and Matthew says, "Ah, oh, this is your bread and butter, cuz." So like, it's just, <laughs> just smile at. I'm like, "Come on, then, let's go." Oh, you're good at this. Damn. <laughs> no, oh, no, I, I totally agree with that. Um, especially considering some niggly games we've seen. <clears throat> Maro Toji. Yeah, oh. I know. Oh, Maro Toji. Um, as the song goes. Um, yeah, that yeah, I just it was just nice to see it was a game without Nick, no niggle at all. There was plenty of you know you could see there was plenty going on that was unseen. But as soon as the ref blew it, everything stops. Everyone's happy having a wee laugh in the middle of the pitch. That's quite nice. Everyone's uh, happy apart from Ben Skeen, who wants exactly to something like... who wants to check 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 mate check <laughs> check mate. Oh, mate. Oh, it, it reminds me of Reece Darby from Flight of the Concords. Yeah. The <laughs> Andrew, Andrew, you present. Present. <laughs> I thought Andrew Bray as a referee because that was his first international game. I thought he had a really good game actually. His communication with both teams was really good. He he was talking all the time. He was 
you know, he, he he explained his decisions really well. He gave everyone plenty of warnings. I thought he refereed the breakdown quite well. Apart from the only doubt, I wondered whether or not Ben Skeen was there sort of to hold his hand a little bit. Um, but yeah, yeah. Good I, good news I is thought, I thought Naka's yellow was maybe a bit harsh. I don't think it was him that brought that. Six, six was dragging it down big time. Yeah, I think the problem with Naka was that he didn't when he was then on the ground. He didn't move his arms. He kept his arms wrapped round. Uh, the Scotland ship, so I think that's yes. why he was penalised. Just in, in the line of fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If they had reviewed that, though, they would have they would have put six in the bin. He was jumping all over them all, attempting to bring it down. It was it was really blatant and was, was actually that? quite hilarious. Wakane Baratu. Let's go with it. Yeah. I, I I mean, yeah, why not? Um, good news is Ben Skeen's the TMO this weekend. Um, you... Oh, what? Oh, jeez. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe watch it on mute. Oh, you're at the game, Ian. You'll not be able to hear it. I'll just, don't get a ref mic, guy. John, your hands in the rock. Yep, so I was going to go with um, some of the England chat. We've had um, a couple of suggestions from a few folks, one of which compares um, the Courtney Laws offside to Drax the Destroyer from uh, Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy. Which is, is <laughs> qu- if I stay here, a... I'm not offside. So. Yeah, yeah, then I became onside to the eye. Watch. Um, yeah, it was, it's, it's, I'll, I'll share it on Twitter later. It's it's very well done from uh, from Big Chris. Um, we also had a suggestion around Stuart Barnes's commentary where he described the tactical masterclass by England uh, for the first six minutes of the game um, which seems a bit presumptuous and premature but then we know that Stuart um, I still often wonder if he has worked out how to use the television in Murrayfield um, I'm not convinced he has but um, I, I will I will sort of dampen the mood slightly and go for um, a bit of news that I've been sent regarding um, some of the clubs in the, the borders um, and there was actually a um, a letter sent round from the Borders Rugby Referee Society, uh, which and a quote which addresses a disturbing upward trend in the level of abuse uh, that's been experienced by match officials. Um, so they're they're trying to reiterate <coughs> the zero tolerance approach to match officials, and it is something that we we are seeing starting to creep into the game at even the lowest levels of the game and. It's really, really, um, frankly, it's disgusting. Um, referees are, and I, I've always, I've always taken a real pride in. Yes, you can criticise referees all you want. There's some absolutely honking referees out there, but they're still the referee. And I've always taken a real pride in being and talking to people about the respect we show referees in rugby. And it's it's changing. And I, for one, I'm very, very disappointed. And um, Frankly, scared for the future of our sport if we if we go down this route. Yeah, I mean, we've talked to Ruri um, Campbell, who 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 referees, I think referees up up at prime level, but sometimes does little wee things like down in the East Leagues if they if they need people. And you know, he's always talked about how well looked after he is when he goes to clubs. And I think it's it's a shame if I think really it's coming down to the individual clubs who are hosting these games. That if if yep. that's happening. It's for them to police. It's not the referee's job. They need to be thrown guys. You know, zero tolerance. That's it. You don't come back. You know, that's it. Then you come back to the club next week. Come back the week after when you've changed your behaviour. And if you can't do it, that's your band. You know, come absolute, back to absolute zero it, tolerance. Is this from like 
solely fans, or is it fans and players we're talking about this? There's like, a suggestion. I think I, I was. Um, I think Ian Wallace sent me something saying that he'd. Uh, it was happening from coaches as well. Um, right, in no, one game that I think he'd seen or heard of that there were some coaches that were um, had mouthed off a little bit about decisions, and I think you know you get you get you know arms in the ref, uh, arms in the air, and all come on ref, and that's that's part and parcel. I think you're just expressing frustration, but when it stems into abuse, I think we we we're in you know dangerous territory. There was that um, case in Ireland, wasn't there? If the the female yeah, ref yeah, yeah. in rugby club, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think yeah, I think it it has to come down to clubs, and they've you know they have to start policing that. And if if they're and 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 everyone you know and down maybe even down to players and, and coaches, if you see coaches and your fellow players doing it, then you need to be having a word. Well, I think I, as well. Like, oh, oh, so, sorry, um, we, I mean the the Wales Italy Six Nations game last year, we heard both Dan Bigger and Reese Webb say all for state ref. Yeah, right. So I mean, if this is this is broadcast on telly. If it's deemed acceptable at an international level, then people think, "All right, I can get away with that." Um, so, you know, I think it was uh, John Lacey was ref for that game. When I heard Dan Bigger speak to him like that, I was like, "Why have you not stopped this and got him in the bin?" Yeah, because it was, you know, you don't speak to people like that. You know, I mean, especially the, not you don't speak to a ref like that. The message it would send, if and we we all know, and we're not just picking on uh, Dan Bigger because we think he's a he's a, a, a complete John Lacey. Um, you know, we know the culprits that do this. We know the people that are in the refs' ears. We know you see your own Farrells, you see your Johnny Sexton's, and frankly, the the chat back is is not acceptable. And the message it would send, if a referee was just to say, do you know what? No, you're not the captain, son go and sit down for 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. The message that it would send would be so, so powerful. And they've got all the weaponry there to do it. The referees have the power to do it. I just don't understand why they're not doing it. I mean, we were, and... marched, we were marched back 10 this week. Scotland yeah, marched yeah. back 10 this weekend. That's right, yeah, which I've not seen in years. Not seen it in years. We've, we've got the options there uh... to use it. I saw it at Scotsdon earlier this year. <laughs> oh, Georgie Lord. Horn was up to Georgie had a wee word in the show. Um, I saw he did, actually. That's but that's, I, I remember, I, rem- I mean, it probably speaks volumes for the, uh, the, 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 the sort of um, the calibre of uh, the club I played for. But um, we used to get marched back 10 at least once a game. <laughs> everybody did. But everybody did. I remember the opposite. Both sides would. Do you know, like in, in, in youth, when I used to play at that level, there would always be someone mouthing off at the rev, and you'd get marched back ten meters, and it's you just t- it it would happen almost every game for both, and it would be both sides that would get it, but it taught you a lesson. You know, you didn't. It reminded <laughs> you, you not to do it again. You know, on certain players in your team that you knew as soon as they were getting pinged for something, you actually started like jogging backwards another ten. Like, <laughs> yeah, we know we know where this is going, sir. Don't you worry. <laughs> no, it's it, it's really disturbing, and you know. um I hope, and we've been saying it actually for a few years now, that we hope the, and it has to come from the top, it has to come from those uh, those playing at the very, very top of the game to set the standard and say, well, we don't do this and we're playing at the highest pressure, you know, environments. It's not acceptable at the lower levels of the game. I think the other thing that probably doesn't help as well is world rugby coming out and criticising ref as much as it was you know we all welcomed Royal Rugby's clarification on the quarter well we didn't welcome it because we would rather have he'd made the right call in the quarter final but you know he welcomed the clarification that he got the call wrong 
about the penalty, the Australian penalty. But I, yeah, do you know that there is a certain extent of world rugby just not saying anything and having the good grace to say anything. You know, there was no need. Why did they need to comment on the England game this weekend? They've come out and said the decision was right, and that's fine. But but if decisions are wrong, then maybe it's best not to say anything and just deal with it privately with the referee. Otherwise. All it does is undermines the authority of the referee in the game. Far better to say nothing and quietly say to the referee, look, you got that call wrong, don't do it again. Maybe send the memo out amongst all the referees saying, look, <laughs> if this happens again, then you do it. But you don't need to say that to people public. Otherwise, it, all it says is all referees are fair game. Go and yep. challenge their decisions as much yeah. as you want. They're going to make mistakes, so it's field day. You know, like like you were saying, it should be a sort of internal disciplinary matter. If you are a top grade ref and you make a, a complete balls up, then you're not going to get one of the top matches anymore. You're going to be, you know, down. You're going to go down a bit, and then you're going to have to work your way back up. Yeah, I mean that was great. I mean we've heard earlier from Gregor Townsend was moaning about the TMO and and what the role the TMO plays and how that should be reviewed. And you would hope someone somewhere is going to be sitting down with Ben Skeen, you would think, and reviewing his performance and saying, did you really need to check that? Did you need to check that? You know maybe just not interfere as much whether or not and if he doesn't learn then he doesn't get the TMO anymore and that's you know that's that's the ultimate sanction I guess just to to segue the chat beautifully from referees though into it was announced this week um, that John Lacey will be retiring at the end of the season to take up a role mentoring the next generation yeah. of Irish referees. Craig uh, Schubert has a similar role. Right. <laughs> After he retired last year, so you're like, oh, fantastic. I know. <laughs> more, more, more John Lacey's coming down the path. Oh, oh. no. <laughs> no but actually, I, I was, when I was Googling that to find out exactly what his job role was, um, I read an interview with Craig Schubert, and he was, you know, was like, look, I made a mistake, but I couldn't do anything about it because my hands were tied. Yeah. Uh, you know, so... No, there is a human being behind the referee, uh, even if the uh, you know, like all humans, they make mistakes. Some of them we end up paying for. Um, so I think that's what uh, maybe rivals us a bit more than yeah, someday. I was playing the sad Hulk music there, but I forgot that's the just partly because Stan Lee died, but also because it felt like oh. I was quite sad that John Lacey was taking that role. But actually, there are, we have actually got a um, a, a jingle for um, for for ref- talking about referees, which is this. That's the sound of the police. <laughs> This is our um, this is this is what I use when uh, Ruri comes on to talk about the laws. <laughs> so yeah, that's our um, we've not had that out for a while, but yeah, I should have played that earlier. But that's our official referee jingle. Anyway, on say, that note, say, say, if if Finn and uh, Adam are are listening, um, you're you're welcome for that little tune there. Yeah. I hope you've got your got your groove on again. <laughs> got your uh, yeah, tripping rugby balls, boys. Um, <laughs> on that note, anyway, um, it's that's us for another week. Um, we've rambled on long enough. Um, yeah, we, we will be back next week post South Africa. Um, to talk about the game. Um, I think Rory's going to be there covering it, so keep an eye out for that. Um, and from now, it's goodbye from me and goodbye from Gene Anderhey. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> Station. <laughs> <laughs>